0: A couple of years ago, um, the sports writer, Sam Walker, wrote a book that I found, just I, I loved it. I can preach sermon after sermon on this book. I won't. Or maybe I will, we'll see. Um, but he wanted to, he actually said that he, he had had this conversation in many bar rooms and living rooms before, but he wanted to have it in a more formal way. What were the best teams, sports teams, in history? Um, and what was different about them? And so he had this whole criteria. They had to have sustained success, and they had to be good for a long time, and they, uh, they had to be the best at the best. So you had to play the best. If you were a triple-A baseball team that won every game for four years, it didn't matter, because you didn't play the best. And so he narrowed it down to 17 teams. Um, the Bill Russell Celtics were one of the teams, the Tim Duncan Spurs, the Yogi Berra Yankees, the Brazil soccer team featuring Pele, although Pele wasn't actually uh, the captain of that team, which is important because the point of his book was this. The thing that set all of these teams apart was their captains. More than anything else, these teams had captains that fit a particular profile. And as I said, the captain wasn't always the best player. Often, they weren't the best player. But the captains were the players that allowed the team, that pushed the team to sustain success. And what Walker found was that each of these captains had a list of about seven characteristics. Every captain fit in these descriptions. And these these captains were more important than the coaches, they were more important than the talent, they were more important than everything. And so those traits are as follows. They, have, they show extreme doggedness, and focus, in competition. They have aggressive play that tests the limits of the rules. They have a willingness to do thankless jobs in the shadows. They have a low-key, practical, and democratic communication style. They motivate others with passionate, nonverbal displays. They have strong convictions and the courage to stand apart. And they have ironclad emotional control. And so what he found was that these great teams, these historic teams, have great captains that aren't always the best players, but they're like the glue that holds things together. To be really relevant, I'll say this. On the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry is not the captain. Draymond Green is. Fits every single one of these characteristics. And so today, as I was diving into our scripture, one of these in particular stood out to me. These captains, according to Walker, have a way of playing just up to and maybe a little bit beyond the rules. And again, Draymond Green is probably the best example of this. They don't cheat, per se, but they certainly find loopholes. And so in the book, he tells this really great story. One of the teams is a, is a Cuban women's volleyball team from the 1990s that won like six straight world titles. And he tells a story about when they were in Atlanta for the Olympics in the early 90s, that they were nervous about an opponent. They were playing the Brazil team. And the Brazil team was more athletically gifted than they were. And they were nervous about it. And so the captain, the night before the game, came up with this plan. This, this This was the plan. She told her teammates, when we get out on the court, we are just going to shout insults and obscenities at the other team just ruthlessly, just the whole game, shout at them. And it worked, surprisingly. They got the other team really mad at them and ended up winning the game. And so you can see, this technically wasn't illegal, right? You can say whatever you want on a volleyball court. Was it the most advisable thing to do? No. But this captain would be willing to do anything to win the game, anything. And when the game ended, the story goes, the Brazilian team quickly ran over to the side and tried to start a fight. So it went just about as expected. But there's something to this thinking, this thinking of working just up to or maybe a little bit beyond the rules. There's a a Harvard Business School professor named Marty Linsky who's written a lot about what's called adaptive leadership. And he has this great quote. He says, leadership is Disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. Disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. As in, you don't quite satisfy people's expectations, or perhaps even their sense of the rules of the game. But in order to change a system, you have to be willing to go beyond the current one. Not so fast that people can't get there with you, but enough that you take people beyond where they already are. And so we've been reading the book of Acts for the last few weeks and we keep talking about the ways in which the disciples are allowing their perspectives of the world to change, how their following Jesus is expanding their consciousness and changing the way in which they understand the world, that they're being changed by this work. But today we hear that happening in a way that might ruffle some feathers. Well, actually, we're going to hear the disciples ruffling some feathers. Um, We hear the followers of Jesus acting just beyond those rules of their day. So I invite you now to hear our reading from the 16th chapter of Acts. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a good deal of money by fortune-telling. And while she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to observe or adopt. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped in their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Cyrus. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all were in his house. And at the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoined that he had become a believer in God. May God bless this reading. Well, I had somebody ask me once, where in the Bible Jesus or his followers are disruptive? Here, right here. It's actually the words that are used. These men are disturbing the village. This is one of the many passages in which Jesus and his followers are causing some disorder. And we know that the world always has and always has had its own set of rules. Rules that are explicit or rules that are implicit. Rules are one of those things you almost can't get away from. And rules can be really good things. They can be about protecting the vulnerable. They can be about maintaining a positive order. And rules can be about preventing violence. But rules can also be used to protect the interests of the powerful or to keep some people in bondage. And largely in the Bible, the law of God, the rules of God's kingdom, are about the first of these. They protect the vulnerable from exploitation. And sometimes the rules of the world work this way. Sometimes they work really well this way. Sometimes they don't. And so God in the Bible often sends prophets to announce the reign of God's law and to disrupt the places in the world in which people are being exploited. We see this over and over again in all of the prophets all the way through Jesus. And so we see it again today. There is a woman who is a slave. She is owned by someone else. She is able to make money for her owners because of her ability to perform divinations, because of a demonic possession. And so these men have control of her. They benefit from this work. It is an exploitative relationship. And notice, the rules of the world in which they live see nothing wrong with this. Or if they have, they've done nothing about it. It is the disciples who show up and do something they're not supposed to do. It is the disciples who show up and play just beyond the rules. And they cast out her demon, which gives her new life. But in the meantime, those who owned her as a slave have lost their source of income. And they're upset. And they turn to the authorities, those who are set up to enforce the rules, and they accuse these Jews of disturbing the peace, of being disruptive. Note, they're not all that concerned with... the the slave girl herself. The owners aren't really acting out of a sense of love, but out of a desire to continue this exploitative relationship. And so the disciples are thrown in jail after they're beaten with rods where a miraculous thing happens. The walls shake and the gates open and they are released. And in this moment we hear this guard who sees them and repents and announces faith in Jesus. And so, in this moment of disruption, the world as it is shakes, literally shakes. And the world as it shall be is revealed. So, there are always rules in the world rules about what belongs and what doesn't, about who is and isn't acceptable, what is and isn't allowed. At their best, they protect the vulnerable, prevent violence, support the well being of people. And at the worst, they do much worse than that. And so we, each of us, is presented with this challenge. We have grown up in a world of rules. You get to kindergarten and they put them up on the board. Be respectful. Raise your hand. And these are good rules. They are rules which maintain good order. But we also have to admit that sometimes the rules don't do that. That they don't do what they're supposed to do. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. spent a lot of his life fighting against rules that weren't good rules. He has this letter he wrote from a jail in Birmingham. He wrote it to fellow clergy in his area. I love this. People always think that the letter from Birmingham jail was written to people who disagreed with him. No, they agreed with him. They wanted to end segregation. They just didn't like the way he was doing it. Like ending up in jail. And so, to King, and so to them, King wrote this impassioned letter in which he spoke against this incrementalism and instead called for a direct action against the unjust rules of the segregated South. And he writes in there, drawing from the Catholic theologian Augustine, that an unjust law is no law at all. And to tell the difference, he drew on another Catholic theologian, Thomas Aquinas, who wrote that an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just, and any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregator a false sense of superiority, and the segregated a false sense of inferiority. And so King saw it proper to disrupt the law of his day. And following this same logic, you can understand why the relationship between the slave girl and ax and her owners is not good. And that any law that upholds it ought to be broken as the disciples do. And so despite the legal system of their day, supporting this relationship, the disciples sought their duty to disrupt and end the unjust relationship. They chose to work outside of the bounds of the world they inhabited in order to live into the emerging kingdom of God. And so we continue to live in a world with various laws, some that are beneficial and some that often aren't. Some are in need of disruption because they don't support the reign of God's kingdom. And it's these that we are called to move beyond, to disrupt. And so this week, I got news from my home state that there was a trial that began. A humanitarian worker named Scott Warren has volunteered with an organization called No More Deaths. And the mission of No More Deaths, which was created by a Presbyterian minister in the early 2000s, involves working in the deserts of Southern Arizona to provide resources for those crossing from Mexico. If you have never been to Southern Arizona, imagine nothing, and then imagine it going on for hundreds of miles. It is desolate, it is hot, it is rough, and in some years, on the low end, dozens of people die crossing, and in other years, hundreds of people die crossing. And so no more deaths, including Scott Walker, Scott Warren, provide water and food and medical aid and sometimes shelter. And so earlier this year, Warren, who was a professor at Arizona State, was arrested at a ranch near Aho, Arizona. And Ajo is like you blink and you miss it kind of town in the middle of the Arizona desert. But he was, giving, he was caught giving direction to two migrants crossing and is currently on this, in this trial that he is being charged with harboring undocumented immigrants and is facing 20 years to life in prison. And I think this is a case that is an important example of the laws of humans conflicting with those of God because the work of no more deaths is meant to keep people from dying. That is that's what they do. They don't ask about citizenship status or about whether or not someone deserves to be here because they know if they do that, people will avoid them and won't get the help they need. And so they simply provide resources to those in need. And in the past, I would point out, No More Deaths has actually worked with Border Patrol, a relationship that has ended in, the years, in these last few years. And so whatever our stances are on the borders, we are disciples. We have, I, if there are 100 people here, there are 100 different opinions on the immigration problem. I think we can agree that people deserve not to die. That that is something that nobody should be put in the situation for. But sometimes in our world, the rules simply do not support this work of saving lives. And indeed, sometimes the rules make it difficult to save these lives. And so this is part of the call of the Gospels. It is part of the work of Christ the disciples are experiencing in Acts, that sometimes God calls us to disrupt the way things are, particularly when they don't line up with God's kingdom. And Scott Warren was working against a system that has been fine allowing people to die in the desert. And so the question for us is, how are we allowing God's work to expand our sense of the world? Are we allowing God's knowledge of who's in and who's out to grow? Or are we hemming in the work of God and trying to do within our... Trying, are we hemming in the work of God, the work that God is trying to do in our hearts? For we, we know how things are. We are well aware of what is and isn't allowed. But we're also aware that God is calling us beyond that to a world in which all things are being made new, in which all people, all nations are being called to the table. And So we have to be willing to ask ourselves, are we living for the current world or the coming kingdom? So this week, I invite you to keep Warren and all of those who wander far from home in in an inhospitable wilderness in your prayers. For it is often those who are willing to work beyond the rules of the world who disrupt exploitation and death. It is those who are willing to push just a little bit further who show us this emerging kingdom of God. And So this week I ask nothing more than prayers for this trial. And prayers for those who lose their lives who don't need to. Amen.